Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. How's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle Podcast. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 126. I hope everybody's having a great week out there. I hope everybody's having a good start to the spring season out there. Uh, We've been a little hit or miss here lately, and uh, that's okay, but we do have a fantastic episode for you today. I'm going to be joined by Zeke Martin right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned before our break there, we're going to be joined by the great Zeke Martin in just a moment. Um, Zeke is now making his home up in the Boston area, uh, and he stays very, very busy as the founder and leader of Zeke Martin and the Oracle. Uh, Just a super band. Uh, If you love you know, funk, pop, rock, jazz, kind of a fusion of all those great styles. Uh, Zeke Martin and the Oracle is going to be right in your wheelhouse. Uh, Zeke also does tons of other pickup gigs. He also teaches at Northeastern University. Um, Just such a cool cat, great guy. And we had a really nice, wide-ranging conversation. Uh, And if he's not on your radar, he certainly needs to be. Uh, again, just such a cool guy, uh, and I learned a lot uh, from this conversation, and I hope you will too. Please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle, Zeke Martin. Zeke, good afternoon, brother. How are you, man? Hey, Jamie. How are you? It's uh, great to uh, talk to you. Yeah, man. Thanks for taking time to come on the Drum Shuffle. We appreciate it. Uh, I guess you're up in uh, Boston. How, uh, how are things up there right now? 
Uh, we're, we're getting there, man. Uh, the sun is out, so that's always a plus. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're getting there. I know, you know, people think of Boston and they think of uh, cold weather. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, we're getting there. It's, it's 60, you know, for us, that's like midsummer. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> not me. Anything under 70 for me is cold, but for most <laughs> Bostonians today would be considered a spring day. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, you know, at least the Red Sox are back in action now, you know, there's, exactly. you know, there's something to do, but you, you say when people think of Boston, they think of cold weather. Uh, when I think of Boston, I think of the insane drivers. That's, that's the one thing I remember about Boston. Yeah. Well, it's, it's because Boston is set up as a circle. See, unlike, let's say like New York or like, like Manhattan, Manhattan is a grid. It's great. I love driving in Manhattan. Um, Everybody knows where they're going and all that stuff. Um, in Boston, it's kind of it's very circular, and streets are getting changed all the time. And so people get lost or are kind of like, I don't know where I'm going. So that's mainly why the, the driving is, you know, let's just say, quote, unquote, different than other places. <laughs> I think that's putting it mildly, Zeke. But- <laughs> But, I'm trying to, hey, look, I'm trying to be nice to my Bostonians here, man. Yeah, I hear my you, Bostonian fans, you know, I, lo- I love my Bostonian fans, you know what I mean? So, yeah. and, you know, I'm kind of, I, you know, I, when I do my driving, I'm more of like a New Jersey driver. I'm like, I'm in and out of traffic. So, <laughs> which in Boston, it kind of works out pretty well. So, yeah. I fit in pretty well here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've heard stories about, you know, getting to gigs in Boston and, you know, it, it's, you know, 10 miles. Let's leave three hours before the gig. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not as bad as like, I mean, I, you know, it's not that bad. Manhattan is actually worse. Honestly, I'm going I'm, to, I have to, I have to say, I remember I had to, I had a gig in New York and it, normally if I was in Boston, it would take me maybe a half an hour. It took me two hours to get there. Yeah. So yeah. And I was like, I was hustling to get there cause I didn't think it was going to take me two hours to get to the gig and it took me two hours to get there. And I was like setting up real quick. So I, went, I had like one minute to spare as I was done sweating, pouring down. And, I'm like, <laughs> and the band leader was like, all right, you ready? I'm like, uh, sure. One, two, one, two, three, four. So I was like, okay. And the night's off. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I, we've all had those, man, for yep, sure. Yep, exactly. Well, okay. So we didn't get you on here to talk about traffic patterns. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, so, um, well, you know, as is kind of my tradition here on the drum shuffle, we always kind of start at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, your story is really unique in that, you know, you, you were born to a legendary drumming father. Uh, and if Thank I'm, you. if yes, for sure. Now, if I'm reading this correct, you were actually born in Europe, right? Correct. I was born in Belgium. Okay. Um, and uh, I was there for about six months. And the reason, and people are like, well, you know, are you an army brat? No, I'm a musician brat. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and as a musician brat, you move around a lot. You know what I mean? So my father, Stu Martin, um, he was uh, born and raised in New York. Uh, he was born in Liberty, New York, and grew up in New York. And his first gig was actually with Count Basie, um, where uh, he basically went down to see the band off um, at the bus. And, you know, the band's loading up and the drummer doesn't show. 
and Count, you know, sees him and says, hey, you play drums? And he's like, yeah. Like, all right, get on the bus. No way. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, which I I just found this out maybe like a couple years ago that uh, back during that time, I would say maybe like, you know, uh, what, mid 50s, 60s, something like that, when a lot of the big bands were around. Um, He was actually, my father was actually one of the drummers uh, that was getting lots and lots of calls for big band stuff. Um, So playing with, you know, Count Basie and then playing with the Maina Ferguson big band and playing with the Quincy Jones big band. I actually have a recording of uh, the Quincy Jones big band uh, live at Newport Jazz Festival. Um, And in that band is, uh, my goodness, Maina Ferguson. Uh, who else is in that band? Um, oh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, just a bunch of, just a bunch of people. Like that was the big band, you yeah. know what I mean? For Quincy Jones. And my father was the drummer. And so that obviously led to other stuff. Well, you know, um, and I was familiar with your dad from like, you know, he played with McLaughlin, of course, mm-hmm. um, you yep. know, he played with Herbie Hancock. I mean, so, right. you know, when I made that connection, I was like, wow, man, you know, Zeke never had a chance to do anything other than, <laughs> other than be oh, a drummer. Well, actually, actually, I did. And I almost quit drums. And, and, you know, this story is starting to get out more and more. But before people didn't really know this, I actually almost quit drums to go play tennis. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't mean I was really good at tennis, but <laughs> <laughs> it just means that I really love growing up in Europe. You know, you, they didn't have, you know, when I, I, so I was born in 1973. So I was in Europe from 1973 to 1986. And during that time there was, you know, Europe wasn't into American football, wasn't into hockey, wasn't into basketball, you know, the three major sports here in the United States, right. or baseball, um, four, sorry, four major sports. Um, in Europe, we watched Formula One racing. Yeah. We watched, obviously, uh, soccer, you know, for the World Cup. Um, we watched uh, uh, the, um, oh, why can I not think of it, the Tour de France. Right, the cycling. Sure. And then we also watched tennis. So I, you know, those old matches, those old Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, you know, Yvonne Lendl, monstrous matches, I actually saw those live on TV. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was a huge tennis fan. So I almost quit. So when I came to this country, I started getting into tennis a lot more. And, like, I was like, man, forget the drums, man. I'm playing tennis. Yeah. You know, and then it kind of died off. And then I was like, all right, I guess I'll do this drum thing. <laughs> well, it, I mean, that's that's kind of the opposite story of, of Lars Ulrich, right? I mean, he came to the yeah. States, you, you know, for tennis and then was like, to heck with tennis. I want to be in a metal band or whatever, you right. know, and took up drumming. Right. So that's right. interesting, man. Yeah. Well, that's that's cool. So, so I know your dad was 
you know, not only did he gig all the time, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, when you guys got back to the States, he was a very well-known and well-respected educator up in the the Woodstock area of New York. Um, right. So, so I'm assuming you grew up around that, you know, your dad teaching all these cats coming to the house to, to learn. And, um, you know, did, did that kind of keep you on the drumming path or, or was it just a natural progression? You decided, Hey, I'm going to stick with drumming. Um, actually, uh, so like I said, we were born, I was born in Belgium and, uh, I was born in Belgium in 73. I was there for six months. And then after six months, we moved to Woodstock, New York, where he did, you know, a lot of that teaching. I really wasn't paying attention. I was not into drums. I was, you know, six months old. Um, there's a great story about that, which he was teaching this class, this rhythm, and they just could not get it. And he called me in. I was like one and a half, two, something like that. And he calls me in. He's like, Zeke, come here. He's like, play this rhythm. And I played the rhythm. And then he was like, see, if my son can do it, why can't you guys do it? I'm <laughs> saying it in the nice way. But, you know, um, and then he got a phone call. Uh, from John Sermon, who was a saxophone player, uh, that they were in a band together uh, called The Trio um, in the 70s um, and, and 60s. Um, really well-known over in Europe. And so uh, called him up and said, hey, I got this gig at the Paris Opera. And he was like, all right. So then we moved to Paris. Um, you know, so that was like maybe 75, give or take. Um, and then, uh, my mom and my father split up, uh, when I was three and, uh, she started dating the lighting designer from the Paris opera, uh, uh, who became my stepdad, which is, uh, John Davis. Um, so I always had a great rapport, you know, I always had a great, great relationship with my father. Um, unfortunately he died in 1980. Um, but, uh, you know, I never, you know, the thing about my parents is they never pushed me to play drums. It was never go practice, go sit down and practice, go, you know, yeah. it was like, look, if you want to play drums, cool. If you don't, that's fine too. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, it's always interesting to me, you know, I, I, for, for guys like you that grow up with, you know, a, a famous drumming father, for example, mm-hmm. It's always curious to me, it, is that legacy hard for you? You know, I mean, I, I think of like Jason Bonham as an example. Right. You know, John Bonham, arguably the greatest rock drummer of all time, you know, right. uh, to many folks. If I'm Jason Bonham, I might play guitar, but I right. pr- probably wouldn't be a drummer. Does that make sense? It does. Now you see why I almost went into tennis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's got to right. be a hard thing to live up to, you know, being the son of, of, of Stu, right? Yeah, I mean, for the longest time, it took me a long time to, like, I remember talking to people and saying, I, I don't want to have any connection. I, I don't want, no, I want to stand on my own two feet. I don't want to have, um, I don't want to have that silver spoon handed to me. I don't want it to be, oh, well, you're... Stu Martin's son. So, you know, 
yeah, of course you can do the gig, or you're Stu Martin's son, so, you know, you should be able to do this, or you should be able to do that. You know what I mean? I never wanted that. I wanted to have my own name, my own persona, my own personality. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, like you said, you know, before when we were talking, you we were t- like, oh, man, I didn't expect your music to be, you know, so groovy. I was more expecting avant-garde. And I was like, yeah, I think, you know, thinking, to, thinking about that, I was like, that's, you know, my dad. And I think it took me a long time to really kind of get into that music. I didn't get it. I'd listen to him play, and I just, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. I can't snap my, I can't snap my fingers to it. You know what I mean? Like, come on, where's two and four? You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, I I do. I've I've been playing for 30 years and I still don't get it. You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Now I get it now, now that I'm older and you know, and you know, and I've, my eyes have been, you know, my eyes and ears have been opened up to a lot more different styles of music and different types of music and so on and so forth. Um, I get it now and I like it and I like to play it. But for me, my preference is like that two and four funk fusion, Dennis Chambers, Vinnie Caliuta, you know, Steve Gadd, Clyde Stubblefield thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just that's, those are my four, those are my four drummers right there. So, well, you know, I'm curious then, you know, as a youngster, you know, you, you cited your influences now. I mean, were, were those your influences growing up as a young drummer? I mean, was it, was it always that kind of thing that did it for you? Um, you know, what, what was actually funny, uh, the first, so the first person that I really got into um, actually was uh, Stuart Copeland with the police. Okay. Yeah. Um, because when, uh, so, you know, going back, so, you know, I grew up, all right. So there's music coming, musicians coming in and out of my house. Right. Um, you know, and it's family friends, it's, you know, nothing major. So like for me growing up, you know, Victor Lewis would come over to the house. Well, you know, for me, it's just Victor, you know, everybody else is like, Oh my God, that's Victor Lewis. He's played with Stan Getz and he's played with this person and that right. I'm like, it's just uncle Victor, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, whatever, you know, or Jack, you know, Jack D. Jeanette would come over to the house. And it's like, for me, that's my godfather. So it's just like, Hey, it's Jack, you know? Um, but you know, so listening to all these drummers or like John Betts, you know, who is an amazing drummer. So a friend of ours, so my first gig was when I was 12 in, in Paris. Um, and a friend of ours, and you'll know the name as soon as I say it. You were like, what, really? So a friend of ours said, hey, do you think, you know, asked my mom, hey, do you think Zeke would want to play with us? We're playing at this art gallery, you know, in Paris. And it's, you know, uh, the bass player is Jean-Jacques Avenel. Uh, one of the other sax players is this guy named Steve Potts. And the other saxophone player, which I'm sure you know, is... Steve Lacey. Oh, wow. And if if nobody knows who Steve Lacey is, Steve Lacey is like one of the first soprano jazz saxophone players out there. Um, You know, it was because of Steve Lacey that, you know, Coltrane decided to pick up the soprano saxophone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's like, that's the history of it. So that's my first gig at the age of 12. But I never looked at it as like, oh, my God, it's Steve Lacey. I just looked at it as, oh, it's Steve. Yeah, I'm I'm jamming with my friends. Yeah, I get it. Right, exactly. I'm jamming with my friend or my 
my family friend, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like, like I said, my, my stepdad was a lighting designer. So at the time he was doing the lights for Steve Lacey. Um, and so I did a gig with, I did gig with Steve and Steve Potts and Jean-Jacques Avenel. And then the week later I did another one and Steve Potts went up to my mom's like, wow, he sounds like 10 times better. Did he practice anything or did he, you know, what did he do? He sounds amazing. And my mom said, he didn't even come close to touching the drums. And I didn't, I just, I never, I didn't practice or anything that time. So I definitely had a natural gift, but I never really honed in on it. Yeah. It wasn't until after high school. So I'm like 18, 19 years old, you know, and I said, okay, now I have to, if I, if this is what I want to do, I have to sit down and do it. And so I decided to practice six hours a week and have a day job and, you know, take lessons at the same time. So I got to, as you know, musicians go, I actually had a really late start. I didn't really start like really seriously sitting down and practicing and playing and stuff like that until I was like 18. Wow, man. That's, I, that's amazing. You know, I mean, I, when you were talking about, you know, your first gig with, with Steve and, and, and all that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, my first gig was, you know, with like, <laughs> you know, the smelly kid from gym class, you know, <laughs> in middle school, you, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, it, it's just, mm-hmm. and the fact that you did get a late start is, is pretty amazing. And look, you know, I, we'll get into all this, but I know you teach a lot. You, you do a lot yep. of stuff at, you know, Berkeley and, and different places up there. Um, what was the original, uh, I guess, path that you charted for yourself as a, you know, senior in high school? Did you say, hey, I, I want to go to college and and really learn the instrument? Or was it more of playing in bands? Or was it a little bit of both? You, you know, what what path did you set for yourself at that time? Um, so I went to high school uh, in Cambridge, Cambridge and Latin, and uh, graduated in 92. And um, Berkeley had recruited me. Um, but at the time, it wasn't really something that I wanted to do. Um, I really wanted to learn uh, and hone in more about my instrument. Um you know, and at the time, Berkeley, from what I had talked to, to different people who had been going to Berkeley or had gone to Berkeley, um, were basically telling me that, you know, you know, it's a really good school, but they're more, what they're teaching the students right now is more how to teach, not necessarily to hone in on your instrument. And I was like, well, that's not what I want to learn. I want to learn how to hone in on my instrument. You know, in 1992, it's different. You know, the, yeah. you know, Berkeley was the spot. You know, nowadays it's different. You know, you have Musicians Institute in LA. You have, you know, stuff down in Florida. You have, you know, stuff down in Texas. You have, you know, Manhattan School of Music. It's just all these different schools that have just popped up. So, you know, there's so many different choices nowadays. Um, and especially now that we're in a pandemic, there's even more choices because you can do everything basically online. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I want to study with someone. I want to like sit down and study. 
Um, so when I first came to this country, uh, when I was like 13 or 14, uh, my mom set it up where I could take lessons from this uh, guy who was like the guru of all drumming. And he taught this guy named Tony Williams. Well, this guy's name is Alan Dawson. Oh, so wow. I studied with, so I studied with Alan for like six months and we just didn't click. It happens, you know, depend, you know, some teachers you click with some teachers you don't. So then after I graduated high school, there was this great uh, drummer at my high school named Keith Gibson. And I wanted to study with him and he was like, man, I am so busy. I just can't. I'm going to recommend you to someone. I said, okay, fine. Not what I wanted, but I was like, all right, cool. So I go check out this guy. His name's Ron Savage. So I was like, all right. So it just so happened that Ron was teaching at Berkeley at the time. So I contacted him and I started studying with Ron. Well, come to find out Ron also studied with Alan Dawson and Ron started teaching me the same way Alan did. But for some reason with Ron, it just clicked. So I studied with Ron for like two years and playing in a rock band, um, this one rock band that I've been playing in since I was 16 um, and played with them for like two to three years. Um, so like some part of high school and then after high school, the name of the band was called Small Town No, Air- no Airport. So okay. it was a great rock band. We toured like all up and down the East Coast and it was great because you got the 16 year old kid you know, with all these 20 something guys and, you know, they're getting all the beer and all that stuff at the night and I'm getting the 50 bucks. So I was like, this is cool. I can deal with this, you know, (laughs) smart guy, Zeke. (laughs) So, you know, so I got the money and they got the alcohol. So I was like, that's fine. That's cool. Works for me. Um, so I studied with Ron Savage for, uh, two years and he really like kind of gave me all the I guess all the basic tools, you know what I mean? He gave me the blueprint for everything. Um, and then from there it was just, you know, I was like, all right, I'm moving to New York. And so I just, I moved to New York and, you know, tried that out for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's well documented how hard that is. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you just, you got to go plug yourself in and, and try to get gigs, you know, and it's, it's not easy, but I, you know, right. I, I, I'm sure you did plenty up there. Um, you know, but I, I'm more curious about, you know, these recordings that I've been checking out, um, mm. which is really interesting. And, and I want to say that, you know, the, the Oracle, so it's, it's Zeke Martin and the Oracle Yep. Was that late 90s was the formation or the early 2000s? Early 2000s. We, we started, our first record was, so first record was in 2001, um, and it was entitled uh, Landscapes. And it was basically, uh, what was it? Uh, at the time, I think it was called, oh my God, I can't remember. I had a different name for it. I think it was Zeke Martin Band or something like that. And then as time, no, it was called Zeke Martin Quartet. And as time progressed, the name changed throughout, you know, you know, CD. So it went from Zeke Martin Quartet to ZMQ to Zeke Martin Project, because what was happening is sometimes on gigs, I'd have three people, or maybe I'd have five people. I got sometimes you. I'd have a vocalist. So I changed it to Zeke Martin Project. And I was like, okay, that's cool. 
and then after a bit, there was like three other guys that I was like really playing with and we were sitting at, so all four of us were sitting at a gig and we just, it just clicked. Like the four of us just clicked. And I was like, man, this is like, this is like a band. This is like, you know, Jim Beard, Schofield, you know, Gary Granger and Dennis Chambers type of band. Like it's a band band, you know? And so we need a name. And they were like, well, it's your band. I was like, so it should be definitely Zeke Martin. And I was like, well, what about Zeke Martin? And I said something and somebody else said, well, what about Zeke Martin and the Oracle? I was like, that's it. I love it. Let's do that. So that happened maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Okay. And so ever since then, I've released, you know, the albums that I've released um, have been Zeke Martin and the Oracle. I got and we're you. Just gonna, and, and that's it. We're, we're going to stay with Zeke Martin and the Oracle. So until the day I die, it's Zeke Martin and the Oracle, period. <laughs> well, I, well, I, you know, as no I... changing. <laughs> I, man, I hear you. It's, it's tough. Um, you know... As I was saying to you, you know, before we turned on, you know, the recorder here, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Right. I was right. I was unfamiliar. And when I made the connection that, you know, OK, this is Stu's son, I mm-hmm. thought it was probably going to be some pretty groovy jazz. Right. right, and, right. and and I put on, you know, whatever the very first thing was. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, man, this dude has got some soul, some funk. Oh, thank you. There's, there's jazz elements. It, it really is a great fusion sound. And Thank you. Y- you know, you guys don't shy away from the, from the rock either, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, I just found myself listening to it going, man, this will put some butts on the dance floor you know, right. in a concert hall and, mm-hmm. uh, really tastefully done, um, yeah. you know, everything that I've heard. So I, I guess I'm curious, you, you know, I, I know obviously right now with COVID and, and, you know, there is no touring, all that stuff, but you know, how active are you guys in a normal year? Are you doing 200 dates, a hundred dates, you know, how, how busy do you stay? So, uh, just, before we get into that shameless plug, the brand new CD just came out, uh, actually, uh, yesterday, um, which is called, um, the trio album and it's four different trios. Um, and, uh, that you can find that on any, uh, you know, music platform from Spotify to Apple music to iTunes, whatever. Um, and it's called Zeke Martin and the Oracle. And then the name of the album is, the trio album. Um, and, uh, so we have all that stuff, you know, out right well, now. Not, I'm not super to, excited about that. Not to interrupt you, but I do no. have to ask, can a physical format be bought from your website? No. Okay. So it's because it, nobody has CD players anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair enough, but I, I always, I always ask, because, right, like, you know, I, I do a lot of recording and I know that if it's listened to a billion times on Spotify, I'm going to get my $4 check, right? So, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I get that. I'm not too worried about, you know, I'm not saying that I'm well off and have millions of dollars, you know, but I also understand that, you know, because we're in a digital age that, you know, most people 
you know, have some type of music streaming. I know you don't. I read up on you. I know you're a vinyl head. I know you have like thousands upon thousands of vinyl. And whenever I, you know, come to Kentucky or whatever, I'm going to come over and like spend like a whole day just going through your vinyl. But, um, you know, uh, most people don't have like computers that you buy nowadays don't even have a cd drive oh yeah I you know, know what i mean yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and you look know. you know I, even with the vinyl and all that stuff you know i'm still cd first typically right, right? right? because yeah. i mean it's just you know it's lossless and, and and all that stuff but i also understand that if you really want to get your music to the masses you got to do mm -hmm. it through apple and spotify yeah. and and you yeah. know YouTube and all those things, it's, right. you know, but for me, like I always like to have that physical copy and that typically helps the band the most, you know? Right. And I mean, I think, you know, kind of going back to your question with COVID and stuff like that, when this, whenever it decides to end, you know, whether, you know, everyone's vaccinated and it's cool or whatever, you know, I have my own opinions on it, but that's whatever. Um, then I will probably get some hard copies for when we actually are able to do a CD release party. I gotcha. So that, so that I can sell them at the CD release party. You know, I have the, I have the graphics and I have all that stuff. That's all done. So I could technically do a CD, you know, a hard copy. Um, but, you know, I wanted to release it and have it out, you know, for everyone. And also because for me, I am a Grammy me member, voting member. Sure. So I am super big on trying to, you know, get, you know, I, w I, w I would love for it someday to be, you know, Zeke Martin Grammy nominated. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, for uh, sure. Grammy nominated Zeke Martin and the Oracle, you know, or whatever the case may be, you know. So um, with COVID, or kind of going back to your question, um, usually when there's no COVID, me personally, I do about somewhere about 175 to 200 shows a year. Wow. Yeah. Um, with the band, my own band, so I'm doing about 15 to 20 gigs a month, give or take. I would say maybe five of those are my own band. Okay. So we're doing like, so for my own band, I would say maybe 60 a year, give or take. Okay. You know? Yeah. So that's not too bad of a, you know, I mean, it, it varies, you know, it could be, you know, one month that I couldn't, I might have like eight gigs you know, for, for my band and the next month I might have two. So, um, and during the pandemic, I've, you know, actually had about two to three gigs a month, um, playing, uh, at this great club, uh, which I'm actually playing this Friday. Anybody is in Connecticut in Putnam, Connecticut. Um, I'm playing this Friday at the, the stomping ground. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, um, you know, I'm really lucky and blessed that I'm able to like do teaching because I teach at uh, Northeastern University, um, doing private lessons there. Um, and then in the summertime, I actually teach at Berkeley for a percussion weekend. Um, so I didn't last weekend, I mean, last year because there was no 
you know, yeah, no, there was no classes because yeah. right, no, nothing in person because of COVID. Um, but usually, I teach there during the summer for a percussion weekend, and as well as with um, this great guitar player who's actually on my album, Scott Tarulli. Um He's a guitar teacher at Berkeley, so I play with him for uh, guitar sessions for a week at Berkeley as well. So I got you. Um, you know, I try to stay as busy as possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know? I, don't we all? You know, I mean, it's right, just exactly. You know, it, it's. <sighs> And I certainly don't want to make any of this about the pandemic and and all that stuff because we're all burned out on it. And I get Mm -hmm. that. But, you know, it's just so different now. You know, it it used to be that I would be, you know, with this podcast, I would be 15 episodes ahead. Right. Right. And, you know, nobody really wants to jump on the phone and talk about what they're not doing right now. Yeah, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? no, No, I get it. I get it. You know, I, for me, I took the mentality and this, you know, and I'm not saying everybody can do this or not do this or whatever, but I took the mentality of one day, this can't last forever. We're not going to have a pandemic for the rest of our lives. So one day this is going to end, obviously. And so I thought to myself, well, I want to be ready. So I took lessons last summer. Um, and you know, from the, uh, this guy, uh, Richie, um, you know, he's on, uh, Instagram. I saw him. I was like, man, I, I want to take some lessons with you. He's like, okay, cool. So we did lessons for like a couple months, worked on my strengthening and my speed. Um, you know, and then, uh, we, uh, you know, I've been practicing a lot and I was like, okay, I got to get into a studio. And so it's like, my thought is like, you know, be ready when it's over as opposed to when it's over, it's time to get ready. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, and I think that's, that's an important point. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, for example, you know, I've got a ton of friends down in Nashville, you know, that mm-hmm. they're in that giant touring industry and right. it, it all just stopped and it will start up eventually and you'd best be right. ready to jump on the bus because if that's right, if you're not, you're going to be sitting at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> you right. Know? Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah. So totally yeah, get so, it. Yeah. So studying with, uh, you know, Richie Martinez, you know, for a little bit, which was great. Um, did a bunch of recordings, you know, including my own album. I actually recorded three albums. Um, you know, I did uh, my studio album. Then we did a live album. And then I'm actually coming out with, you know how uh, Nate Smith did uh, kind of like a drum, just a, you know, kind of like a groove CD just by himself. I decided to do that too. So it's like, you know, I do videos like on social media of just me playing along, you know, just playing different grooves. And I keep getting people say, hey, man, that's a killer groove. Do you mind if I sample that? I was like, yeah, go for it. And, you know, I get that you know, a good amount of time. So I was like, why don't I make a CD of me playing these grooves? And then I can just, you know, they can get, you know, they can get the music and then they can sample it and not have to worry about, you know, you know, Hey, you know, do you mind if I sample that? Do you mind if I sample this? So, yeah. So that's what, that's the, that's the next release probably this summer or early fall. Cool, man. Well, we'll all be looking forward to that. I, I find that really interesting because, you know, the music industry is so different now than mm-hmm. it was, 
you know, even 10 years ago. Um, right. There's, or five. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. Or six weeks ago. I mean, it, it's right, just exactly. constantly evolving. There's so many great drummers um, yep. that have really changed over to kind of do that sort of thing. You know, uh, immediately right. comes to mind Matt Chamberlain, Ash Sohn, right. um, you, you right. know, Blair Senta. There's just so many guys right now that that's what they're doing. They're just doing, you know, loop CDs or, or, or right. whatever. And yep. it's an interesting way to diversify our portfolios as drummers. Yes. Yes, for sure. Most definitely. You know. Definitely. Because, you know, I think, I think what's, what's starting to happen, um, you know, with a lot of, uh, music and drummers and stuff like that, you know, it's like, you know, what was it? Uh, oh man, I'm trying to remember what the exact quote was. It was a Tony Williams quote and it's a meme that's out there. Um, um, but it was something like, you know, the, you know, the flashy fills are cool, but the pocket is more important or something, something to that effect. Um, I have a really good friend of mine. His name's Joe Davis. He's a great drummer. And, and he has a great line. He goes two and four puts food on the table. So, you know, you know, doing, playing those grooves and, you know, sticking to that pocket and just, you know, People, you know, that, that trend is starting, I think, kind of like starting to come back a little bit. And, you know, people are starting to like that more. Um, you know, and, it, you know, trends go and come and go, right? So maybe in five years, the flashy fields will be the end thing again. And then it'll go back to pocket and then flashy fields and then pocket. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. So, yeah. But, you know, for right now, I think the pocket kind of starting to make it come back a bit. And so, you know. I think that's why that's why you're seeing a lot of those those different drummers that you mentioned, you know, put out those different, you know, sample CDs of like, hey, this is my groove and this is, you know, this is this groove or this groove or this groove. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if pocket playing comes back, I'm going to be busy because that's yeah, you and me both. <laughs> that's all I know how to do. I can't do the I can't do the flashy stuff, man. But, you know, I mean, I, I think you bring up a really good point and, and I'm I'm kind of curious about it but you know i mean i've played in tons of cover bands and you know the wedding mm-hmm. bands and all that stuff and and you know if i ever have to play brown-eyed girl again you know <laughs> I, I, i'll probably be half suicidal right but at the same time if you can go on a gig and do that and do it well you will yeah. stay busy you'll get calls yeah, yeah. almost oh, definitely for sure you know i think you know i'm actually you know i i stayed away from the the quote unquote wedding bands for many, many years. When I came back to Boston in 2007, um, I joined a wedding band and I did that first season. That was cool. It was fun. You know, I had a really good time. Um, and then, you know, since then I hadn't really done any wedding gigs. I've been busy. I, you know, I'm doing club dates and I'm doing 150 to 200 club dates a year. So I don't really have time to do wedding gigs. And, you know, I have two kids now. So it's like in the summertime, I kind of try to pull back so I can spend time with my kids. Well, because of the pandemic and we're kind of low on gigs and stuff like that, you know, I said, well, when this, when wedding season comes around, it's going to be busy. And, you know, sure enough, got a call from this wedding band that's like, hey, you know, are, would you be interested in joining? I was like, 
you know what? I'll do it. I'll, I'll take the gig. And because I know that, you know, it's going to be busy and, you know, I'm sure I'm going to be working a lot and stuff like that. And, you know, there's seven days a week. So if I'm busy Friday and Saturday, you know what? In the summertime, then I got Monday through Thursday to hang out with the kids. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, and so you immediately went into your practice room and, and brushed up on Brick House, right? I mean, that's... Uh, well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, I, I, have a, I have the list. I actually just started, I just started listening, you know, because I'm not, you know... You know, I'm not familiar with a lot of the top 40 stuff that's out there right now, you know, and yeah, yeah, you know, I know Rihanna and I know who they are, but it's like, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I got to brush up on that stuff. You know, you have the cocktail hour, which is all jazz. So I'm cool with that. That's no problem. But, you know, when it comes to like the top 40 stuff, it's like, okay, what? I've never heard of this song. Okay. I got to listen to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. I, I hear you. And, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of, a lot of folks, I, I, I got to be careful how I say this, but, mm. you know, I, I think a lot of folks um, don't understand that in order to be your own man and to have mm. Zeke Martin and the Oracle, you, you're probably not going to get rich doing just that. Right. You, you've got to you've got to have other stuff going on. And that's the hardest thing to explain to a non-musician is like, yeah, man, I, I got to go play weddings sometimes, you know, yep. Um, yep. I, I've got to go I gotta, play. I got to, I got to go teach. Yeah. You know, I, I got to go you do know. a top 40 country gig or something like that, you know, right. to, right. to, to get through to the next thing that I really want to do the next record right. or, or the next right. clinic or whatever the case may be. So right. kudos to you, man, for, oh, for... thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's... that's. But you know, it's funny because, you know, actually, it, it's really interesting. That actually happens on all levels. You know, not, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that or recognize that. I have a really good friend of mine. I'm not going to say his name, but I have a really good friend of mine. Um, he did the American Idol tour, you know, playing drums. And, you know, he enjoyed it and he liked it and blah, blah, blah. Um, but he was like, this is this is my moneymaker, you know, yeah. you know, when I go back home, I'm going to, you know, go into a studio with my own band and record my CD. But this is how I am able to do that with this gig. You know what I mean? So I get it. I totally understand. Yeah. You well, know what I mean? And, and all of that's important. I mean, there's, you know, there's guys that can play circles around most other drummers that go mm -hmm. out and tech on tours. You know, right. they'll, they'll be a drum right. tech to make enough money to put out their band's next record because right. recording budgets. Hey, I, I've are, done it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, recording budgets nowadays are zero. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. if you're on a major label, your budget's like four grand. You know, that, right. does, that doesn't even open up the mic locker at most studios. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, you know, it's, it, and you know, there's one thing I learned that's like, you know, kind of to your point of like, you know, you gotta be, first of all, you gotta be as versatile as possible. That's the first thing. Second, you gotta be able to, you know, branch out and don't think, you know, there's only, you know, don't think I am a such and such a drummer. There's only, you know, I'm a rock drummer. Okay, that's awesome. Guess what? There's only a few rock gigs out there. All right, cool. But someone needs this jazz drummer. Well, you know what? Brush up on your jazz. 
or someone needs a funk drummer, cool, brush up on your funk. You know what I mean? Be as versatile as possible. You know, learn how to like play all, you know, that's one thing that has been, that I think is really amazing about Boston as far as the musicians that are here in Boston is that all the musicians are so versatile because in one gig or even just in one song, you can go in that song, it can go from funk to R&B to rock to jazz to reggae to Latin and all the musicians here can hang. They can all do it. They can all jump. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there might be, they might have their fortes in certain things for sure. But everyone's so versatile that, you know, oh, we're playing, you know, Rock With You by Michael Jackson. Cool. Let's play it as a reggae. Okay, cool. No problem. And boom. And it sounds like reggae. It's not these guys trying to be, do reggae. No, it actually sounds like reggae. So that's, that's my, that's my advice for up and coming musicians. Be as versatile as possible because it will get you work. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's just such a great point that, you know, you have to be, you know, I've always heard never say no to a gig, say yes to Mm -hmm. everything, play in all these different types of environments and different situations. Well, you got to be ready to be able to do that. Right. I mean, like, yeah, you can't just say yes and then be like, uh, what do I do now? Right. Exactly. You, I mean, you got to know how to hang. And when you're in right. an environment like that, where all the players can do all the styles and they're, you know, well-versed, it makes you a better player when you're surrounded Correct. by that. Yep. Yeah. I learned at a young age that, you know, you should strive to play with, people that are just as good or better than you because that will make you be better and work harder to be better and be better at their level. You know what I mean? And come up to their level then. And also, you know, if you are a musician and you're playing with someone who's maybe not as good as you don't put them down. Your job as a musician who is better is to lift up the people who are not as good as you. You know what I mean? So it's definitely a hand that washes the other hand. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, that's really important too. You know, I mean, I think we've all gone to see a band and and you'll say, wow, man, that bass player is really carrying the water, you know, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. But you know what? He's a rising tide raises all ships, right? I mean, that's the way I've always tried to look at it. You know, if you're, you know, I've been on gigs where I've played with, incredible bass players and my drumming is better because of it because they can cover right. up all my weaknesses right or they or they or you just or you strive to be like you hear this person playing with you and you're like wow they're amazing and you're like man i gotta i gotta be on top of my game like i gotta be able to like yeah. hang and so it makes you work harder and makes you be better you know what i mean yeah and also that bass player is also saying all right. Yeah. Cool, man. You know what? Let me help you out. Let me give you a couple of hands here and there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely a language and you know, yeah. it's a conversation in front of mm-hmm. a live audience kind of thing. And it's mm-hmm. really, it's really cool. Um, yeah. I, I want to touch on your teaching a little bit, you know, and sure. I want, I want to be respectful of your time, but you, you say you're doing privates at Northeastern university 
if right. if we've got listeners up there, you know, in the in the greater Boston area, you know, are you taking on new students currently, or are you booked up? Always. Okay. So, always, 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 always. So you know, you're at Northeastern. Come on down, and uh, I'm in uh, Ryder Hall, room three sixty four, and I'm there teaching. Cool. Well, I noticed that on your website, you've also got, um, you know, I think a contact for, you know, booking some teaching time. And, I, yep. you know, I would encourage anybody, um, you know, to, to reach out. And, and the website oh, is ZekeMartin.com um, and all kinds of great tunes there. Um, and congrats on the new record. It, it, I mean, it's thank just, you. It's so good, man. So good. Um, thank you. You know, hopefully you can get this thing out on the road one of these days and get, and get down man, here, I, I, <laughs> get down here to the just, South. I was, just, I, was, I was just about to say, man, I, you know, when, when we cut off the mics, you know, I might have to talk to you about uh, getting down to Kentucky and doing some booking, you know? Yeah, man, for sure. Well, I, you know, I'll help out any way I can, but you, you That'd definitely, you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of wedged right here between, you know, Cincinnati, Louisville, Nashville, Indianapolis. Right. It's, it's all just a couple hours drive, really. So hey, sounds sound, sound like a tour to me. Yeah, <laughs> man, for sure. Load up the van and get the boys down here, you know, yeah, so yeah, it, it'll yeah, be some good sure. stuff. Sounds like it sounds like a tour to me. Yeah. Well, um, well, you know, we uh, the tradition here on the podcast, Zeke, is we always ask our guests for, you know, a good piece of advice. You've already given us some really good advice, but if you could, you know, hone it down to one thing, I mean, wh mm -hmm. what would you tell everybody about today's music industry? I want to be a drummer. I want to work. What do I need to do? All right. So um, this is the advice that I got from my mother. Um, I was... 16 years old and I'll try to make this story pretty quick and short. So I went to, I was 16 years old and I went to my mom and I said, Hey mom, I want to be a drummer. I want to be a jazz drummer. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I want to be a jazz drummer. She goes, okay, it's a really tough life. Um, she goes, you know, it's, you know, the highs are probably the best highs you'll ever have in your life but the lows are the best, are the worst lows that you'll ever have in your life. Mm. I was like, okay. And, and she goes, you know, are you sure you want to do that? I said, yes, I want to follow, you know, you know, I want to follow in my father's footsteps. I want to follow in Stu's footsteps. I want to be the next Stu Martin. And she goes, whoa, stop. No, if you're going to do this, and this is the a bit of advice, and I still carry this to this day. She goes, if you're going to be a musician, a drummer, be the best Zeke Martin that you can be. There's already been a Stu Martin. Be the best Zeke Martin that you can be. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. And then she followed up with, um, she goes, are you sure you want to be a jazz musician? You don't want to be a garbage man? You'll make more money. <laughs> So that's perfect. There's, there's, there's the advice with, uh, with an extra cherry on top. So <laughs> that's perfect. If, if you don't feel like you can do it, be a garbage man. You'll make, you know, especially in New York, garbage men start at like 90 grand a, a year. So, but <laughs> well, no, be the, be the best you that you can be, be the best, you know, w whatever instrument person, whoever you are. And this really applies to any field in the world is be the best you that you can be. 
Yeah, man, that's that's where it's at. It's it's kind of like the old joke, you know, how to make a million dollars as a drummer. Mm-hmm. Start with two million. Two. That's right. That's <laughs> so. the, that's the jazz musician joke. You know. I mean, it's what what what's what's the difference? You know, what's the difference between a jazz musician and a and a large pizza? I haven't heard this one. A large pizza can feed a family of four. Oh, that's a good one. I'll put that in the lexicon of drummer jokes. That's a good one, yeah, Zeke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to encourage everybody that's listened in thus far, ZekeMartin.com. Check out Zeke Martin and the Oracle. It, the The record is smoking. It's great. Thank you. Go pick up a copy, stream it, listen to it. Uh, as they say on the radio, lock it in and eat the knob, all that good stuff. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but Zeke, we, we've got to have you back. So yes, for sure. Keep me posted on everything that's going on in your world. And we'll have I you will. back on this show anytime you are available, sir. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, Jim, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And a big shout out to uh, Casey for setting this up. Uh, I love you. You're awesome. You're great. She's my rock. Like she, she helps out. She's my assistant and she helps out, uh, with everything. So big shout out to Casey. Yes. She was very helpful to me getting this all set up. And, uh, I just appreciate you guys taking the time and, and we'll hear from you real soon, man. Okay. Yes, for sure. All right. Have a great one, Zeke. Thanks a lot, Jim. All right. See ya. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 126 of the drum shuffle podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for listening to our show. We simply cannot do it without each and every one of you doing so week in and week out. Many thanks go out to Zeke Martin for taking time out of his schedule to come on the show and uh, share some knowledge and experience with all of us. Uh, It was a real treat for me. Hey, we've got a great episode coming up next week. I'm going to be joined by Cam Tyler, uh, just a fantastic drummer out in the Las Vegas area. Uh, Does tons and tons of gigs, um, does a lot with Cirque du Soleil out there. uh, And we talk a little bit about his new project, which is fantastic as well. So you're not going to want to miss that. If you don't want to miss it, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen in to the Drum Shuffle podcast. That helps us a lot. Uh, the biggest thing you can do to help out our small, independent, one-man show is share a link with a friend. Uh, if you know somebody that might like the Drum Shuffle podcast, just simply send them a link to thedrumshuffle.com. That helps us more than you'll ever know, and we appreciate it also more than you'll ever know. Hey, we answer every single email that we get over here at the Drum Shuffle podcast. Our email address is the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. And you can always find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We, we just appreciate it more than you can possibly imagine. I hope everybody has a great week out there. We'll be back next week with episode 127. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.